this one here. Uh, this is for an infant and a two-year-old, uh, and there are some special needs there, so let's remember that. Uh, also, uh, I was just at the house with Delmer, and uh, he's home, and we praise the Lord for that, and uh, you keep praying for him. And I know we've got plenty of prayer requests, and we thank the Lord that we're seeing people saved, wanting to be baptized, and we're just praying that the Lord will keep working that way. And what a great morning we had this morning. And we just thank the Lord for it. We're looking forward to what he'll do. We're going to open up the service this evening with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Robbie if you just stand up right where you are and open us up in a word of prayer. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the in Jesus just to trust his cleansing blood just in simple faith to plunge me beneath the healing cleansing flood Jesus, Jesus how I trust him how I proved him more and more Jesus, Jesus precious Jesus I'm so glad I learned to trust the precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and o'er. Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Amen. Stephen Cox, and then in the evening, we'll do the same thing. Kogan 
and then Stephen Cox. Then Friday morning, Jake Potter, and then I'll be speaking. And then in the evening, it'll be Stephen Cox and then Jake Potter. And we're looking forward to that. And uh, I'm telling you, like I said, I keep talking to these guys, and they are just so excited, praying that the Lord will do something great. And uh, I saw a picture today of Jake baptized a bunch of people at his church. And I was just praising the Lord for that as well, that his church is seeing people saved, uh, Brother Cox's as well. And uh, I think the Lord's just going to really bless us. And Dale is so excited. He's been calling me like two or three times a week, which if you know Dale, he's pretty low key. So for him to be excited at all, it's a big deal. So Dale's pretty excited. All right. So we're looking forward to that and what the Lord will do. So don't forget that. It's all in the bulletin. And then also, uh, just make sure that you get that. All right, we'll have our ushers come for our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. TJ, why don't you ask the blessing in the offering? Lord, I'd like to thank you again for this opportunity to be in your house, Lord. We thank you again for the service we had this morning, Lord, and for meeting with us in such a mighty way. Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us again tonight, Lord. Be with the choir as they sing, Lord. Be with Brother Mike as he stands to preach, Lord. We pray this for this offering, Lord. We pray you'd bless the gift and the giver alike. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Page 112. 112. Everybody stand. Alas, indeed. Did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. Was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. All right, on this last verse, choir, come on up. But drops of grief can Mary pay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give Where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day Amen, you may be seated
spread the words in red How you leave the 99 To find the one missing Feels like that was written with me on your mind And the prodigal son who ran Leaving his home behind The part where the father came running to meet him Did you say that with me on your mind?
right, if you'll turn with me this uh, evening in your Bibles to the book of Amos. I'm going to preach one more time out of the book of Amos. And uh, I want you to go to chapter number 8. We're going to move right through uh, a couple of different things. And uh, like I said, this is the last one. And what I really wanted to do tonight is put all things uh, about the book of Amos, kind of just bring it to the whole book and say, if we're going to preach it this way and look at it this way, what would we say that Amos is bringing to the people? Uh, what is the main thrust of it? And there's lots of things that I've read that would talk about how it is. And we understand with the minor prophets that uh, the main thrust is the fact that there is destruction that's coming uh, and, uh, and what they need to do. But in Amos, uh, I think there's something specific and we're going to look at it here in chapter number 8 that I think he wants us to take a look at. So Amos chapter 8, if you found that, stand with me. We'll read verses 1 and 2. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you just help us tonight as we take a look at just a few things from the book of Amos as we finish up and, and look at it. We pray, dear God, that you'd speak to our hearts. Dear Lord, you have put on my heart and on my mind what you need, what we should preach from this book this evening. Dear God, it's a challenging message. It makes us consider things that we might not want to consider. But dear God, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and, uh, and do the work that needs to be done. Dear God, we do not want to be those that deceive ourselves that we have something that we do not have. Uh, but yet Satan is constantly working uh, to give us false assurances, uh, to help us feel... Uh, as even as we'll look at easy in this passage of scripture, we'll see that in Amos uh, and, and to make us think that everything is okay. Dear God, help us to be constantly uh, considering our ways, constantly measuring ourselves up as the book of Amos says to the plumb line to see whether we meet the standard of God's holiness. Let us be honest about what we should do about it in Christ's wonderful name that we pray, amen, you may be seated. So this, at the, as we come here and we see this at the book, at the end of the book, I want you to notice that what he says here is, again, very poetic, but it also is very meaningful and speaks right to the heart of what I do believe is the book. He says, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And then he says, and what do you, Amos, what do you see? And he said, a basket of summer fruit. And then he says this, Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come. Now, as you were to look at this and look at the significance of summer fruit when it comes to poetic things, he's talking about fruit that's been picked and it's already ripe. As a matter of fact, it's probably a little bit too ripe that you almost wouldn't want to eat it anymore. In other words, it's time has come or it will shortly come. And that's definitely what he's, that Amos is telling the people of Israel. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. You cannot put 
the fruit back on the tree. You can't do it. You can't go back and make that. And as he says there at the end of verse number 2, the end is come. Now this is a tough one, and you might not like it as we start with it, but I'm going to bring it out anyway. Amos is telling the children of Israel, it's too late. This judgment that is going to come, that is going to come your way, it cannot be stopped now. And it's on its way, it will be delivered to you, and it's too late. You're like, Mike, that's not a great message. That doesn't sound like the message of hope that you should be bringing us from the book of Amos. Now, don't get me wrong. He is going to talk about, just like we said before, that for the nation of Israel, and when we look at this book, that there is a, a near and a far prophecy that's going on. And eventually, he talks about it at the end of chapter number 9, that guess what? That, that uh, you will be restored and that in the new Jerusalem there will be those that will be a part of that. But this specific one that the, that the book of Amos is talking about, that Amos talks about from the very beginning of chapter number 2 that is going to come to them, he said, listen, the things that have been set in motion for this judgment, they are going to come. And you can't stop it now. It's too far gone. Now... What I want to speak tonight about just looking for a while is look at the characteristics that we see in the book of Amos about the people who are too far gone. You know, we've actually been hearing some preaching here as of late talking about the fact that there are times when, uh, when uh, those are given over to a reprobate mind as it talks about in the book of Romans. I believe that, that we do live in the age of mercy. And while you live in this time of mercy, anybody can be saved. I believe that with all of my heart. But it is very dangerous to be presumptuous with the mercies of God. It is also very dangerous to go against God over and over again and, uh, and sear your conscience to where God's, the word of God and the things of God don't move you. That's a dangerous place to be. And there is a place and a time, and there is definitely coming a time when it will be too late. And some, I dare say, have even doomed themselves as they walk on this planet because they have seared their conscience, they have given themselves over to such sin that they will not, not because God is not rich in mercy, but because their will will not allow them to turn back to God. And so what do we do? How do we recognize something that's too far gone? How do we take a look? Because when we look at these minor prophets and we look at all of the prophets, we know that it's a warning for us as well. The similarities are glaring, are they not? We see them all the time. And we look at it and we go, oh man, that's just like now, or this is just like now. So if the similarities are glaring, should not we maybe stop in our tracks and say it's time to turn around and do something different? Amen. Goes right there, all right? Or oh me, whichever one you want, all right? So we're going to look at these, a few things. Like I said, I'm bringing the whole book into light. Amos, as he goes through and he gets to the end, 
He said, I'm sorry, children of Israel. God is speaking through Amos and saying, the end is come. Time is up and it's too late for you. What is it that put them on this track of being too late? Turn with me, if you would, back to chapter number three of the book of, of Amos. Chapter number three. The first thing that I want you to notice this evening about them that are too far gone. Here's what he says. Amos chapter three, verse number one. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought out from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known, and of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. They had forgotten what I put in here is they were unable, listen, unable to recognize the deliverance of God. Those that are too far gone are unable to see that it is God that is bringing the deliverance to them. Here we have the nation of Israel in a land that God provided for them, that God has done for them, and they, even though they celebrate Passover, even though they do all of the rituals that go along with the temple, they have forgotten what it meant by the attitude of their heart. They have forgotten what it means to be delivered by the hand of God. Are we aware of the deliverance of God? Are we overwhelmed by it? I want you to think of a few things real quick as we look at this and as we look at the children of Israel specifically as he speaks this to this to them. And we're going to, and I know, and I'm trying to preach this sermon fast because I've got quite a few points, but I think you're with me. I know it's been a, a great start to the day, but you're ready to get some meat, right? Some real meat and potatoes and sit down at the table uh, and chew it up for a while, right? Uh, and, and, and let's think about the Word of God just for a few moments. I understand that we all want to shout and sing and praise the Lord and say thank you for saving me and uh, all of those type of songs and they get the amens and we talk about the deliverance of God and I get that and it's wonderful and I do the same thing. But I also, and we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning, in the book of Acts, as Paul is talking to King Agrippa, he's, he throws in this little thing right there where he says that you need to repent but then he says you also need to do the works that are meat to repentance. I thought that was so wonderful. And we spent a little bit of time this morning talking about it. He said because when you have repented and you understand the weight of the deliverance of God in your life, then you're going to go out and do a work. Not because the work will save you, not because you're trying to impress anyone, not because you think that it will get you some favor with God, but you just want to say thank you to God. You just want to throw it all out to Him. You're just willing to give Him everything because you want to do works that are meat, that fit the requirements, that just say, God, look, I am sorry. I repent. I've turned the other way. Works meet of repentance. Saying thank you, Lord, is wonderful, but I'm just going to be quite honest, it's not really enough until we live for the Lord. Take my life and let it be. 
a sacrifice to thee. What does it tell us in the book of Romans? This is my, my body that I give to you. It's, it's the reasonable service that I would come and I would live for him every single day. This is what it says to speak about it. And we don't recognize that often. I want to look at a couple of things about the children of Israel as we look at them and them immediately. It's amazing. Immediately. Not understanding the deliverance of God. The first one that I want us to uh, see is they didn't bring works that were meat to repentance in the fact that they didn't trust God. Think about this. Here come the children of Israel, delivered by the hand of God. The plagues of God fell upon the land of Egypt. They watched them one by one, did they not? Until the very end that God slayed the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. But thank God he passed over those that had the blood on the door. And we understand it, right? And with a high hand, the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. But you remember the story, right? They get to the Red Sea, and here they are. And Pharaoh says, I'm not sure this was a good idea to let them go. And so he sends his armies after them, right? And there they are with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. And what do they say to Moses? Did you bring us out here to die? Because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt. Remember that? They didn't trust him. They did not understand the deliverance of... How could they have missed... And I... Listen, we, we're preaching this to ourselves, right? Okay? Because we criticize the children of Israel, but I want you to know I'm being careful as I do that because what I'm saying is we speak all the time about understanding the deliverance of God, but then we walk out in our life and will not trust Him with the simplest things in our life. We won't trust Him with our finances. I'm going to start preaching again tonight. We won't trust Him with our families. Isn't it sad when folks want to keep their families to themselves. I'm preaching about it tonight. It's okay. Hey, your children are just yours for a short time. They're arrows in the hands of mighty men that we shoot out, right? And if they go and serve the Lord in a foreign place or in a faraway place, then praise the Lord that they're serving Him. Amen? But how many times have we selfishly tried to hoard our family right around us because we want to keep it to ourselves and we won't even trust our children with God? I told you it was going to be no fun, but that's okay. How many times of it that we step out of the door and God does things to say, go here and do that, but we won't trust Him to do those things? How many times is it, young people, that you've heard the Word of God and you know what He's commanding you about keeping yourself pure and keeping yourself clean, but you don't trust the Word of God and you're just going to settle in and live like your friends? Do works that are meat of repentance and trust Him. Do you understand the value of deliverance? Then trust Him. He will make a way. Not only will He make a way, but I'm pretty sure He'll make a better way. It'll be better than the one that you thought you had, that you thought would be so much fun. He'll make it even better. Number one, they didn't recognize the deliverance. They don't trust. Number two, number two, when we don't recognize the deliverance, we see from the children of Israel that they put themselves into idolatry. I know you're going to say, Mike, please don't preach on that one again. Well, guess what? The book of Amos has got a lot to say about idolatry, okay? It's got plenty to say about it. 
and they're going to hit it again because we know and we see from the children of Israel themselves how shortly that they're outside. Again, think about it. Meeting your deliverance, seeing God move through the, through the passage of the Red Sea and then stepping out there and in the light of Mount Sinai deciding that you're going to build, Aaron, build us a calf made out of gold. Make us an idol. We want one. We need something to worship that we can see, that we can touch, that we can handle. That's the big thing about an idol. See, that's one of the things we don't preach about a lot. A lot of times we just want something to worship that we can, that we can control a little bit better than God. I don't know if you know this, but God's pretty unpredictable. Did you know that? He's the same yesterday and today and forever. But the problem is, is that his ways are so high above our ways, we can't even figure out where he's going or what he's doing. And it scares us. And we say, I'd rather have an idol that I can see. I'd rather have a God that I can make sure I like how it works with this God. And hey, some people make religion that idol. Some people make church that idol. Some people make their family that idol. We make idols out of everything, their job, entertainment. I'm going to tell you what, we are professional idol makers. We are good at it. And the children of Israel are a classic example to show us that you can meet with God on a Sunday morning and walk out on Monday morning and worship your idol all day long. Because we're not overwhelmed by the deliverance of God. We're not constantly going, whoa. You believe that God would do that for you. The deliverance of God. We saw idleness. We also... We also see ungratefulness in them, not recognizing deliverance. They were, they were tested at the Red Sea and they were failing. They were there with idolatry. But then when we see when there was manna that was falling, when God was literally feeding them with bread from the sky, they said, we're getting tired of manna. We want some meat. Isn't it a shame when we complain about the goodness of God, right? How ungrateful can we be? We all understand this, don't we? We get this and we see this and we know that, that this is one of the great, I don't think that we, we, well, I guess maybe we do, maybe we don't. This is one of the greatest sins that we can embark on as, as a believer or, or as someone that thinks they're a believer and really needs to check themselves, whether or not they are grateful to God. Because remember Romans chapter 1, all of that stuff, and neither were they thankful, right? And Romans chapter 1 is a nasty chapter. It's rough, okay? It's rough. Neither were they thankful. God is feeding them from heaven. God is providing for us day after day. And what do we want? We want more, don't we? We want more. Can I be bold enough to say he never promised you more? You got saved. You don't have to go to hell. That's enough. That's enough. But we want more. We want more. 
Number one, I got five of these. That was number one with three subpoints underneath of it. We're going to have to really fly through the rest of these because I don't want to preach this one later. I don't want to do that. Are you, are, you, are you strapped in? Are you ready for tonight? Are we good to go? Okay, this, this side over here is. We'll just, you can leave and I'll just preach it. Just kidding. Number two, number two. Number one, we saw that they didn't recognize the deliverance of God. Number two, this one won't take as long and you'll be thankful for that. Not responding to chastisement. Turn with me to chapter four. Chapter four, verse number six. Uh, the Amos says, and he speaks to, the, to them, the children of Israel, in verse number six, and I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. That doesn't mean that they had good dentists, okay? It means that there was a famine. There wasn't enough food to eat. He said, I brought that chastisement upon you. I gave you cleanness of teeth in your cities and want of bread. There you go, there's the explanation for it and want of bread in all your places, watch this, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. said, I tried to get your attention. I was trying to not be as harsh, but you wouldn't listen. I brought a little bit of trial, a little bit of problem, a little bit your way, but you didn't see it. I've just got a few things under this and they will be much quicker than the others. Do we recognize the chastisement of God in our life? Listen, it can be difficult sometimes. In the God is love culture that likes to be propagated in our society and, and, in the, and even in the religious culture that we give, live in, it is sometimes hard to recognize the chastisement of God because somehow we've gotten to this place where we think that God is doing everything for us. That everything's going to be for my good. That everything's going to make me prosper and make me great. God has no problem knocking you down a notch to get your attention. He doesn't. As a matter of fact, we ought to be thankful that he's merciful enough to do that. And recognize in our life when he is chastising us and say, God, I need that. But you know what happens? And here's the thing. Instead, oftentimes we become bitter in the chastisement. Remember it, right? But if God loved me, why would he do this to me? No, no, no. He does love you. This is exactly why he's doing this to you. You understand that, right? When we step back from it in the big picture, we're all, a lot of us in here, we're parents. We know what it means to discipline our children so that, so that they will learn something. Is it fun now? No. But we love them enough to discipline them, right? We care enough that we will not let certain uh, uh, attitudes or actions uh, be uh, in their life. And we care enough to put those boundaries in place. And if they step outside of the boundaries, there are consequences. God is exactly the same way. He puts boundaries in our life. And if we step outside, there are consequences. But oftentimes when that happens, we become bitter and that leads to more sin in our life. When what we need to do 
is become broken so that we can heal. We need to go ahead and say, God, I, and be broken. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, that will not refuse. Verse number 12, we slide down there as well, we'll see that. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Some heavy verses. Heavy verses. I got to keep moving. See, I told you that one wouldn't take as long. Number two was not responding to chastisement. Number three, these are all reasons that it was too late for them. Okay? I want you to make sure that we're staying on point here when we get this. It was too late for them because they did not recognize the deliverance of God. They did not respond to chastisement. And number three, they were at ease in Zion. Look at chapter number six and verse number one. Chapter number six and verse number one. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are the chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Notice what he says when we go down here. Uh, I want you to look at verse number four as well. That lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves out upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. That chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. That drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Matthew Henry has some amazing commentary on this passage. Uh, the rest of it or most of it. What he talks about here is how descriptive this is of their time, but also of our time. And Matthew Henry lived a long time ago, but he still says that. He says that they're at ease in Zion, and here's the thing that he says in verse number four, that they lie upon beds of ivory. In other words, that they are furnishing their houses with the finest of furniture, that they are living in luxury. That's, we live in pretty nice houses, don't we? Listen, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and leave this one with you. It's, it's no fun, but I'll keep... I'll keep putting those things together with you and stretch themselves out upon their couches. They got no problem laying down, taking it easy. Then he says this, they eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the stall. What he's saying by there is you'll only eat the best. You only get the best and you have an abundance of it. Is it possible? Is it possible? That food becomes so important that it even becomes an idol in our life? That was no fun right there, was it? Is it amazing sometimes how much time we spend thinking about food? We don't want just any food. We want the best foods, don't we? Man, I'm so guilty of this one, okay? I have probably said it, and it feels like the older I get, the more I care less about quantity and quality, right? I don't want a bunch of food. I want good food, right? When you're a teenager, you just want a bunch of pizza. That's all you want. Just give us a ton of pizza. But when you get older, you're like, no, I want a good steak, right? I want a good steak. I just don't want any steak. I want a good steak. We get to wear these things. And this, he is, this is so descriptive of where we are, that we, we 
put so much effort into the finest things. I understand we all have to eat, but you know what? We can live on bread and water, can't we? Oh, man, that's no fun at all, is it? Sometimes would it do us good to just set apart some of those things for a time so that our mind could be free from those thoughts so they could think more clearly on Christ. They could think more clearly on what he's doing for us. He says all of those things. He says that they have the best of the food. Notice what he says in verse number five, that chant to the sound of the viol and invent themselves instruments of music. He said you love music, you love entertainment, so much so that you're inventing instruments. You're going out and you're taking all this time and spending all this time so that you would have instruments not like anybody but like David, like the king. You want the same entertainment level as the king. You think about it. Think about what they're saying. The amount of entertainment that we take in as Americans is probably without precedent in the history of the world. It was only kings and those that were very rich that could take in the amount of entertainment that we probably take in nowadays. Everybody else had to work all the time just to keep eating, have a roof. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm just preaching again, and I don't even like this illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. Andrea's been watching Little House of the Prairie like crazy. I don't know why. All them people do is work, right? That's all they do. They got to work and bring in the food. They got to work and do this. And they got to work and cut the wood. And they got to work. And all they do is work. And they never have it. And here we are watching them on TV work. And, almost, and then I start to feel guilty. Man, maybe we should be doing something. You know, What in the world? We're entertained to the level of kings, are we not? And we want more of it and more of it. We're at ease in Zion. We're at ease in Zion. We need to be careful. He says not only that, they drink wine in bowls and anoint. He said they, they drink to excess, they have to excess. But the next one was interesting too, anoint themselves. And Matthew Henry's good with this commentary. And here I am pointing it all out, even though you can go back and read it because it's more detailed even than what I'm talking about. They anoint themselves with the chief ointments. He said they go out and they make sure that their, their bodies have the best perfumes on them so that they smell good and look good and that their body is presented well to everybody. Oh, man. We're going to preach on that one too, right? You go ahead and you go get all that stuff. We're at ease in Zion. There's too much for us to do. Listen. And then he says this, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. They cannot see what's going on in God's house. They're missing the point. Why? Because they're self-consumed. Self-consumed. i got to keep going. They're at ease in Zion. Number four. Chapter number eight, verse number four. Number three, they were at ease in Zion. Number four, there was business before religion and profit before honesty. Notice what he says in verse number four. Of chapter number 8. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephath small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit? 
that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. So here's what happens in these few little verses. This is a pretty big thing. Few little verses. He said, you are so busy. Notice what he says, saying, when will, verse number five, when will the new moon end and the Sabbath? When will the religious times and all of the good and, and the Sabbath day, when's all that going to be over so we can get back to making money? And not only making money, we're cheating people as we do it. Now, this is such an interesting passage of Scripture that is specifically speaking to the children of Israel. And the reason that is, is Israel is supposed to be an example to the rest of the nations of God's goodness and God's way of governing things. That they are supposed to be a nation that does not exploit the poor. They're supposed to be a nation that cares for the poor and where the poor can flourish and where they can see their needs provided for. And while the rest of the nations are heathens and kill off babies and old people because they're weak, the nation of Israel is supposed to have more mercy than that and be an example. But what have they done? They go out there and they falsify the balance so that when the poor people come in to buy, they don't have enough money. And they put them in debt to themselves and then they sell them as slaves to themselves, which is already against the commandment of God because the Jewish people aren't supposed to sell each other for slaves. And they've done that all at the same time, making sure that they cannot provide for themselves. And here they have bought and sold the same thing twice so that they can make money. They got a whole system. They got a whole system of how to keep the poor down and make sure they stay down. And he says, listen, this is exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Now, I could say tons about this, and you've heard me preach this already plenty of times. I, unfortunately, I do believe that our welfare system in America stinks, and to be honest, it keeps the poor down. It does not lift them up. It doesn't work, right? I also believe that this is our job. Amen, you've heard me preach this plenty of times. This is the church job, church's job we drop the ball. We are to be the example to the nation of how charity is done. Not handing the, it off to them. I've preached that plenty of times. I'm not going to belabor it anymore. Number four, they had business before religion and profit before honesty, a system of exploiting the poor. My fifth and final one, chapter 8, verse number 13. And I will not spend very long on this one either. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. In a place that's too far gone, the young people have no hope. They faint because they don't see a future. I am so glad to be a part of a church where our young people see hope for a future. Amen? Just the other day, I ran into somebody at Martin's. Isn't it amazing that everybody is at Martin's all the time? I don't know what it is about. I don't go there very often, but when I do, I know everyone in there. What is going on? 
ran into somebody I knew. And uh, they're great folks. I know them, I've known them for a long time through Little League Baseball and different things. And, and uh, that family's even helped come do certain things uh, at the Paris Foundation with me. But their son, he's, he's grown up, he's David's age now. I said, well, does your son, she was talking about my grandbaby, which I was more than wel welcome to do, right? It's like, yeah, he's amazing, the best thing in the world. I said, does your son have any kids? And she said, no, he doesn't want to bring any children to a world like this. No hope, right? No hope for the future. I'm going to tell you, I know the world's rough, but I'll tell you what, children bring joy, don't they? You know what? In Jesus Christ, there's always hope. Amen? I'll, I know the government, I hope you ain't trusting in any of that anyway. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in what he has done. And I got some pretty good news for you. He's going to win. Amen? Amen? You raise them up in church, and they'll be victorious. I know they might not be by the world's standards, right? Whatever. But they will, one day we'll spend eternity with them as well. Amen? What a wonderful thing. So those are our things that we look at in the book of Amos. We might need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are these things true of me? Are those things true of those around us? Because he's saying, hey, it's too late. But I really believe that it's not too late for us or you. You can always repent and turn to God. But if some of these markers are in your life, you might need to do some repenting. Do we recognize deliverance? Do we respond to chastisement? Are we at ease in Zion? Do we put business before religion and profit before honesty? And is there strength in the youth? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up the Word of God. We're thankful for the book of Amos. It is relevant. I'm not sure how anyone would say that the Word of God is not. Dear God, when I open it up, I see the world around me. But more importantly, dear God, I see myself. And I see, as Amos said, that I don't meet up to your standard. I'm so far off the plumb line. I need to come and repent. But I'm so thankful that your mercies are new every morning. I'm so thankful that I find your grace rich and sufficient. And I pray, dear God, that we would be willing to repent and be honest with you. We'll thank you for what you'll do in our hearts and in our lives. In Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen. What shall we sing? 122. Page 122. In a place called
To be crowned.